Welcome to Life at the Ballpark. On this episode, you'll hear stories from the son of Hall of Fame broadcaster Harry Callis of the Philadelphia Phillies, who is now all grown up and the voice of the team he grew up rooting for, the Houston Astros. Obviously, Jack here in St. Louis, Ernie Harwell with Detroit, Vin with the Dodgers, Vin Scully. But yet, Dad and his relationship with Philly is right up there amongst the best city announcer marriages there's ever been. Welcome to Life of the Ballpark, sharing stories from players, managers and coaches, writers and broadcasters about their lives around baseball, from the Sandlots to the big league ballparks. Hi, I'm John Frost, and my guest today is Todd Callis. Thanks, Todd, for sharing about your life at the ballpark. Yeah, I'm excited. Thanks for having me, John. When I saw the announcement that you were going to go back to Houston, one of the things that I saw was a picture of you as a young boy in a Houston Astros uniform. Yeah, my first games ever were in the Astrodome. I was born at the end of the season, after the inaugural 65 season in December, so I didn't get to that that first year in the Dome, but I was there in 66, 7, 8, 9, and then 70 was the last year Dad worked for the Astros. What do you remember about going there as a kid? I don't remember a lot. I don't remember much on the field. I remember the exploding scoreboard out in center field. That made a big impression on a youngster. Mm -hmm. I always tell people there was a retractable chairs that if you flipped them down they would flip right back up they were on a spring mechanism so they always were in the up position so as a kid stand up and play with that chair for a couple of innings that was always good entertainment but yeah uh, i remember more about like astro world and a couple of amusement parks around the area more than i remember the astrodome but i do remember a few things about it how did you fall in love with baseball i was just always around it every day every year of my life and when my brother and I were growing up, mostly in Philly, we were spending a lot of our times at Veteran Stadium. Just that was kind of our summer camp. So I was always around it. And it's hard not to fall in love with the game when you're around it as much as we were. Mm-hmm. Was there a moment growing up where you thought you might be doing this? Yeah, I think so. Because I was always the kid keeping score on my own in the stands. I had my own scorebook. I was doing that at a young age. And then as I got older into my teen years, I would help out in the broadcast booth on Sundays. I would keep the out-of-town scoreboard. Back then, there was no internet. There was scores coming in on the ticker tape. So I would Mm -hmm. transpose all that information onto an American League and National League scoreboard sheet. So yeah, so I was always around the game. Everybody assumed when I was younger that that's what I was going to get into. And I wasn't quite sure myself until after my freshman year in college when I transferred to Syracuse and decided Mm -hmm. to really give it a go. And you went there to study broadcasting yeah i I did it i went with a dual degree thinking i'm going to go there with the best kids from high school that want to be sports broadcasters and i'll kind of figure out where i am in the pecking order amongst them and then if it doesn't work out i also went for a marketing degree so i went there uh, to get a dual degree and took me three and a half years beyond the my first year at Maryland. Did Harry Callis give you any advice about going into sports broadcasting? He was always there if I had any questions, but he never really advised me unsolicited. He would always just kind of let me figure it out. And if I had any questions, he was certainly there to, to give me an answer. But I think, you know, just watching him and how much he loved every day going to the ballpark and doing what he did made such a big impression on me that that's ultimately why I'm doing what I'm doing now. And you were able to spend some years with the Phillies while he was also broadcasting for the Phillies, right? Yeah, my first major league gig was with the New York Mets, 92, 93, and then 94, 95, 96, I did the Phillies games on Prism, 
I was working radio side with the Mets, and now I, I switched over to TV, and I was working on a, a pay cable service called Prism. We did about 40, 42 games a year. Dad was on the, the main broadcast on WPHL, their over-the-air station. So we didn't really work together, but we were both there covering the same team and obviously spending a lot of time together. Mm-hmm. But you'd have lunch together and perhaps drive home together and yeah. talk about the game together. We got to talk a lot about the Phillies together. And yeah, he would because I was only doing the 40, 42 game schedule and they're all home games, I wouldn't travel. So he would help me out and fill me in on what happened on the recent road trips and all that stuff. Because baseball is uh, just a daily operation. And if you mm-hmm. miss a game or two, you feel like you're really falling behind. Mm-hmm. It's like missing an episode of a great show that you love. So yeah, so when I would miss a road trip, which was all the time, he would always kind of fill me in on what was happening and when your dad passed away you were on the field to catch the ceremonial first pitch or throw the ceremony first pitch right tell me what that was like for you so yeah so dad passed away we were getting ready for our home opener in tampa bay and missed that game obviously flew right up to philly uh, as he passed away getting ready for the home opener in dc uh that same day so on opening day on the home opener, home for, opener. for the Nationals. Yeah, wow. so they had op- the Phillies had opened in Citizens Bank Park. He threw out the ceremonial first pitch after the World Series of 08, and then he threw out the first pitch of 09. They did a quick series at home. They went out to Colorado, and this was the second leg of their trip, but it was the first game for the Nationals at home. Uh, and he was preparing for the game and passed away. But we all, my brother, my half-brother, and I all flew up to Philadelphia. My half-brother at the time was still living up there. Uh, but my brother flew in from California. I flew up from Florida. And then we all threw out a uh, ceremonial first pitch the night that they honored Dad. So I threw a pitch to Mike Schmidt, who I grew up idolizing. He was my all-time favorite player. Sure. My brother threw out a pitch to somebody who was probably on the 93 team. I don't remember right now. Mm-hmm. And then my half-brother, my youngest brother, threw out a pitch to somebody who was more current. So we kind of lined it up where we had different generations of Phillies players catching mm-hmm. that first pitch. Mm-hmm. That must have been an emotional time for you. Yeah, the whole week was. We were yeah. up there for a week, and they uh, had a big reflection uh, a ceremony at Citizens Bank Park. Thousands of people showed up for that. Uh, so, yeah, it was a pretty amazing week. He had a very special relationship with the Philly fans, didn't he? Yeah, one of the most. One of the most. I mean, obviously, Jack here in St. Louis, <clears throat> Ernie Harwell with Detroit, Vin with the Dodgers, Vin Scully. But, yeah, Dad dad and his relationship with Philly is right up there amongst the best city announcer uh, marriages there's ever been. He fell in love with the city when he got there. The Phillies and, and the city fell in love with him. And it was it was something that I wasn't sure what he was going to do in retirement because he loved that job so hmm. much. So, in a way, it was kind of fitting that 08 was his last year. They won the World Series. It was his first chance to really call a World Series because they didn't have local broadcasters calling the World Series prior to that. Uh, when he was there in 80. So it all kind of happened for a reason, I think. Mm-hmm. And so your life comes full circle, so to speak, with you being the play-by-play voice for the Houston Astros, the team that you wore the jersey of and a uniform that your dad was the broadcaster for in 1965. How did that come about? I mean, when Bill Brown decided he was going to retire and you moved into the position, were you looking to get back to Houston, or did it just a set of circumstances? Kind of a set of circumstances. So after Philadelphia for three years, I I moved down to Tampa Bay, and I was working for the Rays for 19 years. Ten years they were the Devil Rays, and then the last nine years Mm -hmm. they were the Rays. And I was really enjoying my time there. Even though I was not doing full-time play-by-play, I was getting 
you know, 10 to 15 games of play-by-play on TV and another 10 to 15 games on the radio. I was also filling in for our color analyst on TV. So I was getting my share of, of opportunities in the booth per year. But I always wanted it to see what would happen if I could get that full-time play-by-play gig. Mm-hmm. And I was getting to the point, I was approaching 50 years old, where I wasn't sure if it was ever going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I told my fiance at the time, who's now my wife, I said, if this does not work out, I am fine with just locking down to Tampa Bay and, and being here the rest of my career. Because I really did enjoy my time there. Mm-hmm. But in 2016, at some point t- towards the end of the year, we were at Minute Maid Park with the Braves. And then Brownie said, hey, I think this is probably going to be my last year. Mm-hmm. You should probably get your stuff together and whatever you need help with, I'll be happy to help you out with. And hmm. uh, Brownie told me about the fact that he was probably going to retire, so I got my stuff together. I thought Reed Ryan and the Astros at the time did as thorough and, to me, checked every box possible in their search. And I'm not just saying this because I got the job. I really feel like mm-hmm. had I not been named the Astros announcer, I would have felt better about that whole process than any of the other. I've had some near misses in the past, but that was the most professional job I've ever seen of them really going through checking every resource, checking every reference, listening, asking questions. And um, I was lucky enough to get in the final five. Final five, go in and do an inning on TV off of a game from the previous year with Jeff Blum. And he was uh, part of the decision-making process too. Astros, Root Sports at the time, which is now AT&T, and and Blummer and a few others kind of all made a decision, and fortunately enough, I was the one they called on. And 2017 began a streak of winning for the Houston Astros. I mean, they've been winning ever since you got there, right? I I heard uh, Tim McCarver quote about Bob Gibson. They said Bob Gibson was the luckiest guy he ever knew. Uh, like he's pitcher because every time he pitched, the other team didn't score any runs. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing, right? Yeah. So I mean, you're you know, look at the Astros. Astros have been in postseason every I, year, right? Since 2017, I parachuted into the best possible situation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I thank Brownie all the time for his timing, but uh, he was he's still to this day, and he just got elected into the Hall of Fame, Bill Brown, the Astros Hall of Fame. To this day, he said he's never regretted his decision to leave the Astros when he mm-hmm. did. He's just enjoying life in retirement. And I was the lucky enough one to come in. And six straight years, an American League team has never made the ALCS until the Astros did it 17-22 to 22, my first six years. It's crazy to think about. Even in Atlanta, when they won 10 straight or got to the NLCS 10 straight years, there was five years there where they didn't have to win a series in the postseason. And then there was the strike year and then five that they had to win a postseason series. So mm-hmm. the Astros are also the only major league team that's gotten to the championship series having to win a series in the postseason for six straight years. So... I am truly blessed. I've jumped into the one of the greatest situations possible, and I've had a great baseball to call, and hopefully we'll we'll do it again in 23. And it sure is a lot more fun when you're watching a good team. <laughs> oh, <it>? my God. <laughs> Fans love you. Yeah. Everybody, everything's great. You're yeah. calling a winning baseball. Yeah, it's hard for fans to be critical when the team keeps winning. Well, Todd Callis, thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing about your life at the ballpark. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was great to talk to you, John. Tune in each week for a new episode. I hope you will subscribe and share with your friends. Life at the Ballpark is produced by Jim Governale. Project manager is Paul Adams. I'm John Frost, sharing stories of life at the ballpark.